I'm Carrie Miller. This is Big Books and Bold Ideas, a show where readers meet writers. And I'm glad you're here today because this is a show all about dogs, a topic that is near and dear to many of us. It begins with a confession. I am a dog foster fail. When I beloved, when my beloved dog, Dara, died in the fall of 2021, I grieved for a while. And then we intended to get a new shepherd puppy to love. But before I could do that, I got an email from a shelter that I support that foster families were needed, and I decided to step in. What could it hurt, I thought at the time? I'll foster a dog for a few weeks, I'll write a glowing review, and then it will be on its way. Experienced pet owners are probably smiling right now because my well-intended plan did not succeed. Cookie is mine now. I can't imagine life without her. And that story is probably familiar to Alexandra Horowitz. She's a scientist who runs the Dog Cognition Lab at Barnard College, who was just beginning to study the behavior of puppies when the pandemic hit. In a surprise twist, she ended up adopting a puppy from a litter that she was observing. And that led to her 2022 book, The Year of the Puppy, How Dogs Become Themselves. When I talked to her last fall, she had so much wisdom to share about puppies and dogs and the humans who love them. We started our conversation by talking about our shared compulsion to bypass the puppy stage and to adopt adult dogs. Yeah, we did have some younger dogs who I would say are puppies, or I would have called puppies previously, but they were several months into their lives, half a year into their life, not um, eight weeks, uh, when many people get a puppy, especially if one buys a puppy from a breeder, it's probably at around eight weeks old, which is a much earlier time. And certainly I'd never known a dog in their first days. What was the catalyst? I think you should describe what the catalyst was hmm. for because for bringing a puppy into your lives because you didn't have a dog shaped void in your life. You had dogs already. <laughs> we had two large, uh, wonderful dogs, and we really did not need another dog or any more dog energy. At the same time, um, I I think like many people who who adopts dogs when they're a little bit older, always wondered about their early days. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what better time really to bring a dog into our life who these dogs can kind of help introduce to mm -hmm. the world and to sort of the ways of our family, which I think actually is a very tricky part of adding a new dog to your life. Uh, I had an adolescent or almost adolescent age son, and I um, thought that it would be a an interesting time for him to see these different life stages. Um, you know, and there was a little bit of scientist in it too. I wanted to, I wanted to observe this puppy like Piaget was observing his children, right? And, and being able to bring a little bit of a scientist perspective to those early days. You know, I thought that was interesting that you really felt that the dogs you already had would do some of the the work would take on some of the responsibility for helping to turn this puppy into a full-fledged member of the family. So is mm. that always the case or is there just something unique about the dynamic, you know, among your dogs or, or what? I think inevitably being introduced to a new context where literally everything is new, the house, uh, the people, any animals there, sort of the the comings and goings, the space, the how time is used, where all those things are new. If there's a dog, a conspecific, who the new dog can attach to and follow as they naturally will, it's going to be of assistance in starting to make sense of this otherwise um, very undifferentiated, difficult to see new space. So even though I didn't think the dogs would be explicitly teaching, they weren't sort of professionally <laughs> Puppy, puppy trainers, they, <laughs> they would inevitably, by being themselves and interacting with us in certain ways, um, be guiding a new sprite in the house. You've intrigued me. Are there dogs that are professional puppy trainers? I mean, <laughs> this is kind of what they do. <laughs> I No, I don't know. I don't know if there are. Um, you know, moms are, in a way, professional puppy trainers for the first couple of weeks. They do exactly the right thing but then they step out of the picture wisely. 
Yeah. You have this lovely description of what it's like to see puppies that are only a few days old. I'm not sure I ever have. You write, I feel let in on a secret as a witness to this time in the lives of puppies. You know, it sounds like even with all of your experience as a dog researcher, there was something really... Well, somewhat new and fresh to you about seeing these dogs at this point in their lives. Is that right? Absolutely. I really had never studied young dogs. Um, There's not a lot of research. This is starting to change um, with one research group right now. But there's not a lot of research into very young dogs' lives in a kind of natural setting. Um, You know, I study dogs in our cognition lab who are owned dogs, who have to be at least six months old because we need them to be cooperative in certain little tasks with their people when they come to the lab. Simple tasks, but we can't just have completely new creature um, who isn't making sense of the world yet in the lab. It just wouldn't make sense to be asking them the questions that we do, like giving an SAT to a baby, right? So I'd never studied them, and I had not ever witnessed this time in their life. And um, so I was really set up for that kind of excitement of discovery that I did feel every time I met them. So your childhood, um, I assume that it was filled with dogs, but not not really young dogs, mostly adult dogs or what? We did adopt dogs from rescues. So they were however old they were when we got them. Uh, We were kind of a serial dog owning family. One to another, to another. Mm-hmm. And I would never have been a very big part of uh, kind of introducing them to the house that was really left to my parents. And, I, you know, I just enjoyed them as companions. And I was, I certainly loved dogs, but I didn't think that I would be turning a scientific gaze towards dogs at all. I had no sense of that when I was growing up. Well, how did it happen? Oh, completely accidentally. And dogs were kind of inadvertent. Uh, I was a graduate student studying non-human animal minds and looking for sort of subject populations to ask questions about metacognition. Do non-human animals think about themselves the way we think about ourselves? It's tricky to ask those types of questions because uh, we mostly get answers from people in language, you know, uh, do you know that someone else other than you? Yes, I do. You know, versus a dog where you ask them and they say nothing in reply. So we, you, I thought we have to look at naturally occurring behavior where there's the possibility that we see kind of these metacognitive skills popping up. And I looked at play behavior. Um, I think that's a really great way that we learn about ourselves and others and roles and things that people do and do not know. Uh, and it turned out then... If I wanted to find a playing animal all the time, there was one right in front of me, in fact, in my house, and that was a dog named Pumpernickel, and I was taking her out several times a day to play with other dogs. So I began turning my video camera on them and then wound up just studying dogs. Um, And it was a time when 20 years ago, dogs were not being studied as interesting cognitive specimen, Um, maybe because they were ubiquitous or we thought we already knew everything about them. But I was able to ride this early wave of people who realized that, oh, it's not just the metacognitive questions that are interesting, but these subjects themselves, dogs, Mm. we haven't really investigated. So I've stuck with it since then. And it's been um, a lovely surprise. You know, I've found when I talk to scientists who study a particular animal, that they're often not romantics about Mm. the animal, that, (laughs) that they take a very practical um, I, I guess somewhat reserved approach. It struck me. I know a, a scientist who studies lions and another that studies uh, marine, large marine creatures. They're not, they're just, they bring, they don't fall in love with the idea of studying these creatures. And I, I wonder how you describe yourself in that. That's interesting observation, I do think that naturally the scientist approach 
is ostensibly a kind of objectified one, even though we know more and more as scientists how much we are part of the equation in our viewing and observations and data gathering. And it sounds like some people are pretty successful at not feeling a bond with their subjects um, for the most part. You know, with dogs, I think when dogs come into the lab or I'm studying, I'm watching dogs in natural contexts interact, uh, I don't, I'm not thinking about how much I love dogs. Mm. I'm thinking about them as interactors and I'm looking at their behavior. Of course, it's all predicated on the fact that I do very much love this species. Uh, so that's kind of part of a motivator. But I don't. I think when I'm taking a kind of scientific approach, I do remove myself from it just so that I can see a little bit better um, right. what's happening. It's Alexandra Horowitz. Back to our conversation with her in just a minute. Kelly Gordon is here with me. We were. We are the book women. <laughs> Of Minnesota right. Public Radio. We work on all things books. We love books. We're constantly reading. Mm. We're booking interviews. And this was Animal Month. The month of yes. April was Animal Month on the show, and we carried it over for a little bit. That's right. right. It just ended. It was fantastic. All kinds Loved of it. books about animals, insects even. We learned so much, and I know that there are a lot of NPR News listeners who love animals in all forms. So even if they're not book people, they would still love to listen to <laughs> right. all things about all animals. It is the spring member drive. I think you know that by now. But do you know this? We are powered. Minnesota Public Radio is powered by people just like you, tuning in because you love animals, tuning in because you love books, tuning in because you listen to Minnesota Public Radio news all through the day, every now and and then we come to you and we say, this is what this relationship looks like. If you listen, we hope you'll contribute. And I hope you'll do it this hour, especially if you're a book lover, especially if you spend a lot of time at the library. How about you? 800-227-2811, mprnews.org. I kind of love that, Carrie. Maybe this is a challenge to people who listen to big books and bold ideas, who love books, who love books. We're going to put them on the spot, Cal? A little mm, bit. Like, okay. come on. Let's show up here. <laughs> Let's show the organization how much you love books, how much you think this type of programming. And I hear from so many people who listen, they learn about a book. I know, I have watched it happen, that when we do a book, especially a new book that's coming out, yeah. you go to the library yes. that day and that's all true. of a sudden it's like, oh, I wanted to get this book and I'm I'm 57 <laughs> on the wait list at my <laughs> county library that. because so that's, great. Minnesotans love books. And I know that people who listen to the show love books. So let's show up, right? Here we are during the spring member drive, $5 Friday. That's like a nice alliteration. So you can give $5 a month. Maybe you've never done this. You, you've just listened and you've never become a member. You've never joined the team. And you're like, eh, maybe this is it. This five is bucks. Time. Five bucks. Five you can try. Bucks to be, uh, five bucks will not get you hardly anything. But it will make you a member of Minnesota Public Radio. Yes. Which is fantastic. All the stuff that comes with membership, right? Knowing that you are enhancing the news and information service that you hear, knowing that you're making a commitment to something that really matters. All of that, people, five bucks, 800-227-2811, online at mprnews.org. Hey, Kel, do you think... I know we've been I know we've been reminding people about the special event tomorrow in Rochester. Yes. Drew Brockington, the Catstronauts pal and me hanging out on the stage at uh in Rochester. Yes. There's a lot of information about it online. It's one of the ways that your support is broadening what we're doing here at Minnesota Public Radio. We were like, hey, let's do a few talking volume shows in the spring. That's right. All thanks to you. NPRnews.org, 800-227-2811. I mean, that's a talking volumes for families. Right. This is, this is something new. We're, we don't do we're that like, very often. We're bringing the next generation We don't generation like families in. to talk. No, just kidding. <laughs> kidding. We love you. We love it. And, this, and really... If you have not seen Drew Brockington's <laughs> books, he's a Minnesota author. He's he, a character. he not only writes them, he draws the right. illustrations for cats that are going into <laughs> space and, and fantastic things like this. And you're right. This is the kind of programming. Later, we have William Kent Kruger. I That's believe. right. Later on the month. 18th in Duluth. In Duluth. Yeah, so if you're up in Duluth, events. North Shore. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I promise and you. Like you said, this is what 
pro people who support us, our members, they drive this. They make it possible. Right. So you can join the team. You can come on board. You can give, like we said, the $5 a month level not only, like you said, gets you so much for such a little investment when you look at all the other things that we spend money on, you know, monthly subscriptions to Netflix and to, you know, Spotify, all these things. This is absolute value for your money. And we have gifts. So, <laughs> and we have gifts. And, on top and there's of that. more. <laughs> um, you can get right now. Today is the last day to get the NPR News wool merino socks. They're wow. going away forever. What? Five dollars forever. Month. Forever. Well, you know oh, that's what we yeah. say. Okay. They've been famously touted by Steph Curtis as like the NPR tote bags for your feet. <laughs> like they're they're iconic. That sounds like Steph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get those for five dollars a month, and you get the pride of being a member. NPRnews.org. One eight hundred two two seven twenty eight eleven. People, it is. $5 Friday. You know what that means? Five bucks a month from you, and you are a member with everything that comes with that. That is a deal. I am here to say, don't let that pass. You love books. Maybe you spend a lot of time at the library. Maybe you've got a huge library queue like I do. Just you can't get enough. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous, all those other books I have, but I've got a long library queue. Maybe you tune in specifically to catch what's happening around the region. You listen to Kathy Wurzer's show. You are a dedicated listener of Minnesota Public Radio, and we ask that you be a member. And today's a great day to do it. Five bucks nprnews.org, 800-227-2811. You know, you've got that to-be-read pile, those yeah. things that you're going to get to eventually. This it's is like towering. the to-give pile. Yeah. We're calling it out today. Yeah, We're saying it. don't even make it a pile. Let's come join the team right now. You can get it done. It's like crossing a book off your list, like you did it. Here we are, 1-800-227-2811 or nprnews.org. Okay, going back to my conversation with Alexandra Horowitz. She's a canine researcher and author of The Year of the Puppy. Boy, I had a ball talking with her. You know, something unique to scientists who study dogs versus scientists who study monkeys or bats or whales is that canine researchers often live with their subjects. When we talked last fall, Alexandra said that a typical stance might actually provide an advantage. It is. And I think it's the way that it's the reason that dogs weren't studied for a long time is that um, they didn't feel like uh, an almost exotic sort of other um, who we didn't know anything about. They felt like an animal we must know everything about because look, we're letting them sleep in our beds, right? And they <laughs> and they're sitting right at the dinner table with us. So we must already have answers to those cognitive questions, right? So I think that is it unusual. It's becoming less unusual insofar as more domestic animals are being studied now, uh, with whom people might have uh relationships apart from taking scientific approaches. Um, I do think actually it's a really privileged position that I have because I get to have a relationship with this dog and know her and observe her. And then when I notice something, you know, I can form hypotheses mm -hmm. about it. We can start to test those in the lab. There's a lot of feedback that happens from the lab too. If I learn something about dog behavior from the lab, I can then take that home and maybe it will change the way I interact with my dog. So I love I love the tension and opportunities that being on both sides of that avail. I know. I think it's a dream job for dog lovers. Now, mm -hmm. um, super interesting to read about how important it is to development that puppies be held gently in the first days of life. And then at, at three weeks old, they're moving into the most important developmental stages of their lives. W will you talk about the the gentle handling and what researchers have discovered about that. Right. There has actually been a little bit of research about whether certain types of basically challenges to the puppy system will help dogs later become, this research was about developing great working dogs. Um, so basically dogs that are up for everything that are not anxious uh, or fearful or aggressive and what they did was really just challenge them physically in ways that they um, wouldn't be challenged on their own. And by challenges, I mean, you know, lifting up a puppy, for instance, and maybe holding them and slightly upside down as though they're 
you know, uh, going down a ski, a ski slope, <laughs> supporting their head as you do. That's not a position that a puppy would be in naturally. They can barely move at all when they're just a few days or a few weeks old and their mom isn't putting them in that position. So it just gives their body something to adjust to, mm. you know, putting them upside down in a safe way. Uh, these type of handling, it turns out, if done a little bit every day, leads to dogs who are less anxious, um, more curious, more exploratory, calmer. Wow. So I'm not sure that we can, I'm not sure how profound that result is. You know, we don't have a puppy who wasn't handled and a puppy who was, but it does look like these early, what we would broadly call socializations do have a pretty big effect in the personality that develops. And so then at three weeks and beyond, uh, puppies are moving into the most important developmental stages of their lives. So, so what is the length of this period and, and what's happening in puppy development? The period, the socialization period lasts for several weeks, um, up to about 14 weeks of age, really, uh, although it goes through little stages. And we call it socialization. So people think, oh, you need to be social, right? Have other dogs around, have maybe any local cats come by. Uh, the puppies should be exposed to lots of people in that way where they won't be afraid of people. They'll be interested in people. That's true. It is exposure to sort of all types of animals, including the human animal um, and including, you know, little toddler animals too, who, who act very differently than adult animals. But also it's exposing them to all types of sounds and smells and textures, walking on surfaces that make noise or that are uneven or disturbing. It's allowing them to meet all these things in this period of their life where they're very open and receptive before they enter a period of their life where they're much more guarded mm. and less, uh, less willing to be approached. And if you do expose them to all these different sounds and smells and sensations, they wind up being better adapted to them later on. If you know what to look for, can you, even at three or four weeks, see a puppy's personality starting to emerge? Hmm. It's really a great question. And it's not clear that it is completely emergent at that time. That said, you do start to see distinctions between members of a litter and even between how moms might treat members of the litter, which do lead to slightly different behaviors, right? So dogs who are a little more likely to remain close to mom, dogs who are a little more exploratory, dogs who are starting to be interested in other dogs early versus dogs who are less interested in socializing with other dogs. Very small tendencies, but they're still in bloom, right? So the full personality hasn't developed yet. You know what I was curious about is when you write about, we're going to talk about Quiddity's um, specific, the litter that she came from and her siblings. But overall, it's, you know, just as human research tells us how important siblings are to childhood development, it, it sounds like puppy siblings end up being pretty important in those early developmental stages. Is that right? It's absolutely true. I mean, a, a puppy in a litter of one would still survive. But in the first couple of weeks of life, puppies are really taking all their cues from mom. And mom is actually essential to their survival. They, can, they, they can't see anything. They can't hear anything. They can barely lift their own head up. What they can do is suck, basically. So mom's responsible for keeping them at the, her belly and also for keeping them warm keeping because they can't regulate their own body temperature. But a couple weeks into life, their eyes are open, their ears are almost all the way open, and they start being cognizant of each other. And they absolutely learn immediately from this, the other members of the pile of puppies that they're in. They follow the, a puppy wherever they're going if one dog urinates in a spot, the others will urinate in that spot. So they are predisposed to see each other kind of as teachers. Hmm. And in that way, as a group, really quickly expand their small world from just around mom to 
you know, as far as the bodies and that most adventurous puppy will take them. What, what happens if you take a puppy away from its mother and siblings too soon? If you took a puppy away at that very, very early age, they would first of all have a, a difficult time surviving, right? Mm. They're completely dependent on mom for food and you'd have to bottle feed them if, you know, if they were without a person who was there to step in into that role, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to nourish themselves. They also can't, as I said, thermoregulate. So they have to be kept close to very warm others and or a heating pad all the time. And it, if they just got through that physically, this kind of emotional and cognitive development that comes from learning from others would also be absent. So ideally, you know, you'd have to have other dogs uh, around them who could just by their presence be giving some guidance into kind of how to be a dog. If they didn't have that latter part, they would probably develop without a lot of understanding about how to interact with other dogs. Um, Difficulty. Yeah. And and if you've ever met a dog who was uh, a stray dog who seemed to live not in a group of other dogs, but by themselves, and then is adopted into a home, they're very aloof. They have Mm. difficulty with that kind of what we consider normal dog interaction. It's really contingent on those early exposures that happen naturally in the litter. So so a dog that is aloof from its human family, that is the that that is not a typical response. I mean dogs want to bond with humans and if they've not been taken away from their siblings and their mothers too soon and they've had good interactions with humans, normally you will find that dog ready to bond with humans? Typically, yes. I mean, there there will be small personality differences, Mm -hmm. some dogs who are just naturally more aloof. But right, if they haven't been exposed to people in that early socialization period, people in a positive way, in other words, then they're going to have a lot more trouble later bonding with them Although it's not impossible, it's going to be a, a protracted exercise like learning Farsi as an adult, right? But <laughs> they could probably impossible. do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But so, yes, that aloofness might be personality, but it more probably comes from a lack of uh, exposure. Dogs have been domesticated to be our companions, right? Mm. They are very much turned in our direction. But then again, if they only see, people as potential predators or threats and not as potential family, that's what they learn. So had you, when you learned about the litter of puppies from which Quiddity eventually came to your house, uh, had you already decided you were going to adopt one of those puppies or did you start to observe the litter because you were thinking about writing a book about puppies. And then it was like, I cannot walk away from these puppies. I must have one. (laughs) How did it work? Well, I will admit it was a research project first where I wanted to observe multiple litters um, and see various births. And then eventually I thought we would find the puppy who was clearly meant to live with our family. Um, But a pandemic swept in Mm. right in the middle of this litter's development. And I was visiting the litter every several days or every week in their early weeks. And they were about five weeks old, I guess, when uh, suddenly, you know, the world acknowledged that we need to shut down and cloister ourselves. And I realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to walk into somebody else's house and observe their litter puppies, I think it's the this litter that we're going to have to adopt the mm. dog from. So I did love all the pups in that litter, right? But I wasn't, I didn't have my eye on them, like, I'm going to take one of you home. Um, instead, I was just observing them as uh, little growing sweet potatoes, you know, and not thinking that one of them was ours. <laughs> but Quiddity had other other ideas, right? And that wasn't her name. At the, I, I love this no. idea that the the person who was raising this litter of puppies gave them all these names of was it flora, fauna, plants? What where did yeah. they come from? They were all plants, uh, typical of a indigenous diet. The the foster lived in upstate New York, and she, you know, she 
I mean, she had 11 puppies to name and the mother. And she came up with uh, this range of great um, native uh, flora that were part of a Native American diet. <laughs> and yours w- ended up being wild ramps, exactly. <laughs> which became quiddity. <laughs> yes. It made me laugh. I, I mean, the wild part might have might be asked. But <laughs> All right. <laughs> Alexandra Horowitz there from the Barnard College Dog Cognition Lab. What a great gig, Kel. <laughs> hey, if we weren't book women, would we be dog cognition lab people? It we might. definitely be one of my lives that I would choose. <laughs> What a job. Ah, the path not taken. That's right. right. Hey, I'm going to remind you that uh, don't make this the contribution not given on $5 Friday. Just don't do that because $5 Friday, I think it only happens – once a once, once a membership a member drive, drive. Yes, there's right. only one Friday. one time one shot to get all the stuff that comes with membership for five dollars a month. It's a deal, people. Eight hundred two two seven twenty eight eleven online mprnews.org. So Kelly Gordon, she's producer. We work on the show. We do all the book stuff. You know the special talking volumes we're doing tomorrow in Rochester with Drew Brockington, which is going to be so fantastic. But, uh, you know, we come up with a lot of fun stuff, I think. And April Animal Month, yes. for the whole month, all the book stuff was about animals. And we just had a ball booking that, didn't yes, we? Yes, it was so much fun. And it was so fascinating to learn all these different things about animals. You know, last week, if you haven't heard it, you can catch it on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people do. Yes. There was a environmental journalist, Oliver Millman, his book, The Insect Crisis. Mm-hmm. I, I, I walked around, and this is what I think listeners do too, so you will understand this. I walked around for days yeah. regaling people with bug <laughs> trivia. Did you know that bees can be trained to play soccer? Yes. Like all this stuff. And mosquitoes do have a purpose. Yes. They're that, not just a plague on humanity. That we would last yes. three to four months right. as humankind without bugs. Without we, flies. Without flies sure. and other things yeah. that can help us get we rid of our waste. We could go on. We could go on to the point where you'd be like, please stop. Please stop. So we'll stop, okay? We will. But <laughs> if you want to listen to the podcast, you can. And this is this is why we do do fun right. things. Right. Animal Month was fantastic. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. And you can support it. You support it when you come on $5 Friday. You could give more than $5. And in fact, really, because today the NPR member drive is – or a member – what is the word I'm looking for? The match. Ah, the match. The, the member fund. Yes. There we go. The member fund is matching people's donations. So if you give – Five dollars, you come on board at five dollars a month. You're really giving ten dollars today, right. you know. So it's it's like yeah. magic. Your money is doubled, right. and you can you don't support even have to this. Do kind of anything? Programming. All you have to do is contribute five dollars right. a month, and then it's just magically done. Where else in your life does that ever happen? It okay, nowhere. I'm sure. I'm a South Dakota resident, says Matthew from South- Sioux Falls. But I listen to NPR News religiously. NPR News is my unbiased source for all news. I appreciate the hard work and dedication of the staff. It's only right that I should support the reporting I trust. That is the deal. You can find headlines everywhere, a lot of news organizations. You get them updated every minute on your phone. But where is the news organization that you know you can trust? NPR News, if, if NPR News is that source... Then we ask every now and then that you step up and make a contribution. We would love it if you do that today. Look, if $5 is about what you're ready to commit, all good, because it's $5 Friday. See how that worked out? 800-227-2811. If you listen online, hey, throw a few bucks at us for the streaming services and all the stuff we do online. NPRnews.org, 800-227-2811. And today we... Well, I shouldn't say even today. You can get gifts, too, for supporting us. So we've mentioned that here on $5 Friday, at the $5 a month level, you can get these unbeatable wool socks. Merino socks. You Hopefully can, you're not going to need those yes. the, the rest of the you're summer. You're going to put them in the back of That's your right. drawer for October or November, and then you're going to be so excited when you pull them out. And then you're going to go to the grocery store, and you're going to see somebody else <laughs> in NPR socks, and you're going to yeah. wink at them, and you're going to be like, see, we're Are in the club. Are you looking at people's socks at the grocery store, yeah, maybe. Kel? Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> okay. But I'm I'll, looking at the oranges and apples. You're looking at the socks. I'm looking I for gotcha. the NPR. I'm, I'm looking for the people in my club. <laughs> I'm looking for the branded people who are like, look, right. I'm a supporter of NPR. 
NPR eye. This I is will this know matters you to me. Your socks. That's right. Yes, we, we also like have it. a ball cap, an NPR News ball cap, which has been very windy. <laughs> yeah. This April, so you know that's that's important. At the ten dollar month, you can also get these awesome Peace Coffee travel mugs. They are designed for us by our friends at Peace Coffee. Very cool. They're very cool. They're yeah. like a collector's item. Ten dollars a month, and you can get this gift and support journalism. Right? Could I say that? Could I just throw that in? You're supporting us. That's the right, biggest that's thing. Right. Exactly. But the gift is a nice perk. You are supporting cool stuff like what we're doing tomorrow in Rochester. I just Drew Brockington makes me laugh. He's <laughs> he's a space nerd. He loves cats. What else do you need to know? He's going to be with me at two p.m. in Rochester for a talking voice. His little drawings of cats are fantastic. I have a feeling he might be doing some drawing when we're down there. Drew, if you're listening, that would be fun, too. Your contributions support fun stuff like a special Talking Volumes in Rochester. Tomorrow, details online. I'd love to see you there. In the meantime, let's get it done. NPRnews.org, 800-227-2811. My name is Joan, and I'm from Lakeville. I'm a new member of NPR News. NPR has been my trusted source for radio news. I always come away with new knowledge or increased understanding about the day's events. Thank you, NPR, for supporting my efforts to be a lifelong learner. Join me and become a member of NPR News at nprnews.org or call 800-227-2811. Okay, back to my conversation with Alexandra Horowitz. She's a scientist who runs the Dog Cognition Lab at Barnard College. And she came out with a book called The Year of the Puppy. And one of the things that I found so relatable in the book was Alexandra's honesty. I mean, you might be tempted to think that a dog researcher would have all the right answers when it comes to raising a puppy. Far from it. To demonstrate, I asked her to read a short excerpt from a chapter called Imperfect Puppy. At this point in the book, the puppy Quiddity had only been in Alexandra's house for a couple of weeks, and she was beginning to think she was not the perfect puppy at all. It's 3.15 in the morning. Quiddity is howling. Actually, she started with crying, which morphed into a kind of yowl, and now, a half hour on, she is doing her best coyote impression in our living room to an audience of one. It is her third performance this night. Somehow I am the only one awakened, and I am completely awake, staring at the ceiling in the dark, waiting for her to settle. I stay perfectly still, willing her voice still. If she quiets for even a minute, I will go down and lie by her crate, hoping some company will calm her. That is what one of us has done every night for the last several nights. I am sleep-deprived and grumpy. She does not stop. And eventually I go down anyway, grumbling as I go. I might have said I hate her under my breath. At night, all my concerns are amplified as though they feed off darkness. The little worries that have bubbled up in her first week with us are now giant billboards. We have made a mistake. She is the wrong dog, the wrong breed of dog. She is too demanding. I don't like the commotion, the constant supervision. I don't like having to be on top of everything, anticipating the next need to pee or object that will be chewed. I am worried about the stress she is placing on the dogs. Finn is constantly sending me accusatory glances. I feel sure he has got new gray hairs on his muzzle. Upton has stopped playing with us altogether and often just up and leaves a room when we enter, puppy at our heels. She is over needy and underfoot. I lack the energy required to maintain the encouraging, enthusiastic tone of voice needed to get her attention, to egg her on to climb that step, to follow me, to stay off, down, there. I am needed, and I do not want to be needed. I churn with irritation and impatience. (laughs) That was a tough time. I'll bet. (laughs) Alexander Horowitz, uh, reading from her book, The Year of the Puppy, How Dogs Become Themselves. I've got to tell you how comforting it was to hear that a scientist who studies dogs still has those um, moments of what were we thinking? What? Because when you're in that, even with an adult dog, you know, when you first brought them into your family and they're, you just think, is this ever going to work? You know, yeah. three days in, is it ever going to work? Of course it is. But, you know, you're just, you feel so out of control. 
I guess. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm always cautioning people when they come to me a week after they get a puppy or a dog and it's not working out that they just have to be patient, right? That this is a phase and this is actually kind of an expected phase of the dog learning about what life is like here while your normal life is suddenly being put into relief because it's been overturned by the arrival of the new dog. Um, And yet I, I too was impatient and I too was uh, upset at being underslept and out of control. Right. So yeah, I hadn't anticipated either having that reaction or um, writing about that reaction, (laughs) but I'm glad if my, confession and sort of my acknowledgement of the fact that this is can be a difficult saga is useful to other people because I do think this is when a lot of people start to turn their backs on the dog it's too tough to train the dog they it's just not the right dog and then they wind up returning the oh, dog oh that's devastating and that it's just even harder for that dog to find a home again right but this is you know, if you look at it from the dog's point of view, it's tricky figuring out how to live in a human household. It's We might have domesticated them to be looking toward us, to be able to bond with us, but not instantly and not to understand human society and the kind of Byzantine rules uh, that we put on, on their comings and goings and behavior. So we do really, and I included, really do need to give those dogs a break and know that it's going to be a little while of struggle. You know, I really appreciated, too, how you took on this industry of well-known canine coaches who are all about the perfect puppy in 50 days, you know, that kind of thing. You, yeah. you say, one of the pleasures of dogs is that they are full of messy behaviors. This is why we do not adopt robots. Where do you think, Alexander, this idea uh, got started that you can turn your dog into like this little exacting robot that will require no, you know, coaching or training? Or you can train them into that, you know, in three weeks. In a way, I think it started from a good place, which is to say um, something that would help facilitate with ease the introduction of one quadrupedal species into the homes of this completely different bipedal species and trying to figure out, well, what is it that the people need? And so therefore, what should we teach the puppy? And in fact, you know, there is a great and a huge industry of trainers who are brilliant at doing this as a way to creating a relationship, Mm -hmm. but none of them is going to say, you know, there are just five steps you need to do. And if you do these five steps, you know, the relationship is sealed and, and furthermore, if it doesn't work out, then there's a problem with your dog. None of them is saying that. They're all saying this is on the way to uh, developing a relationship. So I think it came from that place. And then, you know, given the ubiquity of dogs, there are so many products and services that are constantly offered that try to fill the, um, you know, fill the space that's created as people cry out, like, I want, I need my dog to do this. Why does my dog do this? Um, How do I, what do I do with my dog when I have to leave home? And so industries come in and fill that space and they're going to be a variable quality, you know, and it's pretty hard for a new dog person to wander through that and figure out how to actually navigate it. Um, And I do think in some ways the best way to navigate it is to, you know, educate yourself about dogs and the history of dogs and people and what dogs are like, and then just experience that time with the dog, being open to whoever they are, um, getting guidance along the way as you need, but having no expectations that they're going to be turned into a a perfect specimen. Yeah, I think it's confusing, too, um, because, you know, unless you've had so many dogs that you have a lot of confidence um, because, you know, I've talked to canine, what I think of as canine coaches, and they differ on things like dog parks. You know, mm-hmm. one one woman that we've worked with does not like dog parks. She thinks people, they don't control their dogs. They let their dogs misbehave. And if your dog, you know, is in the middle of that, maybe they're learning bad behavior. Others are like, yeah, this is where they run it out and they'll work it out and 
don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you have a Do you have a view on mm-hmm. that? I think it's like raising children, right? You know, do you sleep train your child or do you let them, uh, do you pick them up when they cry? You know, it's going to be work differently for different families. Mm-hmm. And there are some dogs who will have poor experiences in dog parks, right? It's not the ideal setting for them and others for whom that's a great social space. And yes, I do think you often have to work through little tensions between dogs that, um, that we might get worried about and let them happen. But, you know, it can also be an unsafe place. So there's no one or there's no black or white, right? And anybody who gives kind of black or white equations about what's best for all dogs is going to be making a mistake Mm. with a good population of the dogs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two things I don't want to miss. Uh, You write about smell walks and I've read about this before. I'm very aware of how important it is, but I think a lot of people are like, if I'm giving my dog a walk, they're getting the exercise they need. And that's all, you know, that's all that's required. But um, could you say something about how important it is to let the dog linger and smell as you, as you go? I love that you bring that up, Carrie, because that actually, it harkens back to this, I think, misconception that we were talking about earlier, where we think the dog is just sort of experiencing the world the way we are. And they're really not. You know, we have this idea about what a walk is for, uh, which is sort of unspoken, I guess. But I think if I speak it, it would be, it's, you know, so that they can get exercise. Maybe it's so that they can see other dogs, depending on the type of dog person you are. And it's so that they can relieve themselves. But for a dog, what must a walk be? You know, that's A, everything, right? They are confined all day to your house. Might be a perfectly lovely house and very comfortable house, (laughs) but it doesn't give them a lot of room to control what they want to do, right? They can wander from room to room, but there's not, they can't sort of see the world. So this is their chance to see the world. And yes, let take them outside to relieve themselves. Yes, take them outside to get exercise. But one of the things they do to see the world is they smell it. And that might mean that when you head out the door, the first thing they want to do is stop, put their nose on the ground for (laughs) three minutes and see who has been by before, which is the type of information that they're getting when they sniff closely and long at a surface or the ground. So I very much encourage people to let their dogs sniff um, on smell walks Uh, maybe once a day. If you took your dog out, if you're in a place where you're able to take your dog out three times a day for walks, great. Let one of those be a sniff walk. You might not make it very far. Maybe you make it 45 meters from your house, (laughs) but allowing your dog to, your dog's nose basically to guide you. And I think people find this difficult to do initially, but the more you appreciate um, that they're seeing a whole world, right? They're going into the museum basically and they're gazing at everything that's out there that's been put there and you're not yanking their nose away. So you see their appreciation of that. Um, it's also mentally tiring, right? They're using uh, their brain, their mental muscle. So both of those things become satisfying over time for us a little later for them. I've thought about this conversation every time I walk Cookie, not to be pulling her away when she wants to Mm -hmm. sniff. And Kelly Gordon's in the studio with me. We work on big books and bold ideas. And and you've thought about this too. I have so much. In fact, I was saying right when we were listening to the conversation that I have a dog who was in the backyard with me this week when we finally had some nice weather in Minnesota. And I was just doing some work and she she was roaming the yard, but like with her nose glued to the ground, you know, <laughs> just sniffing everywhere because of right. where the squirrels have been and where the chipmunk have been. Right. She wasn't hunting anything. She was just like, we would read a room. We would say, who's been here? And so it's so important. And I do feel like the the interesting thing, like Alexander Horowitz was just saying, is that it does kind of tire him out. Too. Yeah, you would think that right. oh, they're not it's moving very fast or challenging, not. but it's it is that For mental stimulation. Brains. Yes, yeah. they came in. She came in, curled up on the seat, went to sleep. One of the things we learned mm-hmm. uh, doing the interview, and I hope that you learned as you listened to that interview with Alexander Horowitz on big books and bold ideas. It was Animal Month in April. So much fun, and uh, just one of the ways that we bring you new ways to experience literature and reading and on Fridays you catch boy you catch the just the gamut of 
all the ideas and all the all the different ways to experience books. Okay, it's $5 Friday. So as you're listening to these conversations about books, I hope you're thinking, boy, that is a deal that I simply cannot resist. I just, I can't let it go. You've sniffed out like a good little puppy dog, a great deal, and we've got <laughs> it for you. And here's the details of it, Kel. What do you get for that? You get so much. First of all, you get pride Yeah, for supporting this. This would be like a dollar... A podcast, right? If you listen to Big Books <laughs> and Bold right. Ideas yeah. in a podcast stream, that's right. It's like a dollar a podcast. Jeez, what that a is a deal. bargain, isn't it? For yeah. all of your curiosity, all the things that you're going to learn, that's fantastic. But you can also go online and choose a gift if you would so choose. And you can get today, the last day for a long time at least, we have these merino wool socks that are NPR mm. branded. You can get those for if you become a sustaining member I'm at five dollars a you month. You want a pair of those for I, your own? Okay. Yeah. Truth yeah. be told, I love a wool sock. <laughs> That's all I wear in the okay. winter. I, I've been converted into that. So this is a fantastic gift for Minnesota. Here, we, who, we couldn't get who better. Who doesn't love a wool sock? That's something <laughs> new about you that I didn't know. Yes. Fascinating. I mean, you. I think that in Minnesota, you kind of have to. <laughs> You can right. also get a ball a ball cap that's NPR yeah. News. We have some $10 a month, really beautiful kind of collector, collector's edition coffee tumblers that have been designed for us from Peace Coffee with all sorts of We've springy got the goods, Minnesota. People. We do. We We've have got fun the things. goods. And for $5 a month, I mean, it happens only once during the drive. This yep. is it. This is your $5 day. $5 Friday. If you miss it, it's going away for a whole nother, who, who knows, a whole nother summer. Yes. So this is your shot. This is it. And all it takes is like two minutes probably right. at nprnews.org or 1-800-227-2811. You love books. You love animals. You love NPR news. You're our kind of people. And you're saying, you know what? I didn't know what I was doing all weekend, but now I'm going to be in Rochester mm-hmm. at two o'clock with some kitty cats and Drew Brockington and me. I, I don't know what I'll be doing when all this is happening. but Well, uh, I think you'll be talking to him. Are there going to be cats there? I don't think actual cats, but I do think he might be bringing one of his characters <gasps> from his book. Wait a minute. Re- what? Yes. I didn't know about that. That's scary. <laughs> I'm bringing my real cat. How about that? Okay. Well, yeah, that, that would really up a notch. Okay. Anyway, I, I digress. It's one of the great events that we do around books and reading. 2 p.m. tomorrow in Rochester. God, I would love to see you there. But in the meantime, I'd love to see you show up for NPR News. 800-227-2811. Make a contribution. $5 Friday happens only every now and then. You can get in on this at nprnews.org. Do not miss out. Yep. And if you're listening to the show right now because you are a book lover or an animal lover, right? this is your chance to send us a message and say, I care about this programming. I be careful stuff. what you ask for there. Okay. Yes. Send <laughs> us a I'm message. Calling them out. I'm saying send us a message and say, <laughs> this is programming that I actually really love. Yeah. Whether you listen, maybe you listen to this on a Tuesday right. on the podcast. Yes. Still you come stream in. whenever you want to. That's yeah, right. It, that's it's right. on-demand listening, nprnews.org. You can still go there. You can always call 1-800-227-2811 and say, this matters to me. I want to support it. Here is Kevin in Moorhead. He says, the ball cap got me. Socks for you, Cal. Ball cap for <laughs> Kevin. I've been listening daily for years. I've done a few donations. Triple challenge was what I needed to become a sustainer. Thank you Excellent. for all of the work you do. Thank you, Kevin. And for everybody who is listening this hour and making a contribution, 800-227-2811.